often. But you know, um, the reason why I ask about resolution and lists are because, you know, when we sit down and, and, and think about what we want to do this year or what we do next year, it's sort, of, it's sort of a reflection of our ambitions. It's sort of a reflection of our desires. Um, what we want to achieve, you know, is our target, is our goal. And what we write down on that list is actually something that shows what we want to pursue with our time, the things that you will sacrifice to do it, you know. And those things are important because it dictates what is priority in our lives. And the reason, and this, and the, I have only one, one main message today, you know, and as I was praying about it and I was, uh, some weeks ago, Pastor Gwen has asked me, are you free on the 8th of December? You know, my first instinct is to say, no, I am not free, you know, but I don't really have a valid reason. And uh, as much as I want to say no, I felt that I needed to, to do this, you know, for, for whatever reason that God has prepared me for this message. And so my message for today is called Above All Else. Above All Else. Today, I'd like, to like for us to think about what do we anchor, anchor ourselves in, in our choices, in our ambition. You know, we all have a reference point. You, we all have a go-to person. You know, you have like a, if you have a best buddy, you know, if something happens to you, you have to call that person. And maybe just girls, maybe, right? If something happens to you, you have to call that person. You tell that person what had happened. You know, we have a go-to person. We have a reference point. But, you know, what are we anchored into? You know, and it's not wrong to have best friends. It's not wrong to have mature Christians who's praying along with you on decisions. It's not wrong to, to have other reference points besides God. But what is it ultimately anchored in? What are you setting your benchmark or your standard against? Whose opinion matters to you most? Your parents? Your friends? Your boyfriend? Your girlfriend? At the end of the day, we need to be anchored in, in Christ Jesus. Because above all else, He is above all. And for that reason, um, I'd like for us to stand as we read the text for today. If ever there is a time in our lives that you felt that your heart has grown cold, or you are wavering in your faith, I encourage you to come to 1 Colossians verse 15 to 20. Might be a bit difficult to read for some, yeah? Is everyone okay? Right? At a count of three, we're going to read this, okay? This is, this is the loftiest, most concentrated verse on the description of Jesus Christ in the entire New Testament. And we, I'll tell you why in a bit. So as you read this, begin to think, let it sink in the measure of God's greatness as you read this aloud, as you reflect upon your life. At a count of three, let's read together. One, two, three. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. 
the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are who you say you are, and as your word speaks to us this evening, O oh God, Father, may you speak to our hearts. May, Lord, Father, be rooted and take ground in our lives, O oh God, and bear good fruit. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, why did Paul write such a declaration of Christ? To the Colossian church. In fact, when Paul was writing this letter, he was actually in prison. He was chained to a guard and he felt an urgency to actually write this letter. And this letter was written to a person, a church leader called Epaphus. And he's never met this guy before, but he's heard so much of this man. And he knew that at the moment he accepted Christ, Epaphus, he was such a good um, example of Christ and such a believer in Christ that he went all out to build the kingdom of God and build the church of God. And what's interesting also is that when you go to modern-day Turkey, which is where Colossi is, the name of this place, the Colossians live in Colossi, there is no architecture, there is no ruin that you will find to tell you that this city actually exists because it is a remote, unknown place. Why would Paul take time out of his prison and with such urgency and with such declaration of Christ write to Epaphus about this? Why? Why does he do that? And the reason is because that the other thing about this town is that it is actually an agricultural town. It is probably known to be an unknown town. He could have written to like a great church like in Philippi or Ephesus where we find the Philippians and, you know, the, the Roman Empire in Athens. You know, there's a great city and it's influential and where, that's where people do trade and that's where people come together. But he chose to write to Ephesus in Colossae. The reason why is because there was a growing belief and philosophy that had started to slowly and subtly grow in the midst of the Colossians. It's something called Gnosticism, with a G. It's a Greek word that says Gnosis, meaning knowledge. It was the false teaching of the day because it was an intellectual attack of Christ in saying that Jesus Christ is not enough for salvation. Salvation belongs to the elite that possess a certain knowledge, a certain something, you know. It's an elite group that believes that you need a mediator to come to God. Jesus is just a creation of God. Rubbish. That you need someone in between. Do you know that you have direct access to God? Do you know that you have direct access to God? That's, that's the privilege and honour that we have in being His child. And that's why Paul had to write to Epaphus to address this immediately. Because even in a small, unknown town, he needed to nip it in its bud because he knew that 
if this teaching ever gone out, even in an unknown town, he needed to kill it and destroy this thought because if it grows, it will be detrimental to the faith of Christians. But what is more predominant in our day to day? We may not face with um, Gnosticism as the first, Christian, first century Christians face, you know, but what it is essentially is it is the principle, the culture, and tradition of man that influences our decision, our definition of what is good. What is the good life? If I were to ask you today, what is the good life? Is to be married, to have children, to have wealth? Is that the good life? What is the definition of our success and our achievements? And what are we benchmarking ourselves against? And all this false teaching is not like an assault, an upfront assault to who Christ is. It comes in very subtle ways. You know, it's not someone who comes to your face and tells you that this is not Jesus Christ. It is something that is that lives amongst us every day. It's part of our tradition. It's part of our culture. It's part of what we live in day in and day out. It is a philosophy that you can adopt and integrate into your life and tag Christ along with it. But slowly and subtly, it decays the authority of Christ in our lives. It is a deception that leads to dead ends. John Piper says, If any person or any power, or any wisdom, or any love awakens my admiration, or any amazement, or any joy, let it be the greatest person, and the greatest wisdom, and the greatest love that exists. In this life, if we were ever to encounter love so deep, so wide, so great, let it be the power that is found in Jesus Christ. Let it be the wisdom that is found in Jesus Christ. Let it be the love that is found in Jesus Christ, because Christ is are all in all. Christ is above everything that we do and say and whatever we go through, Christ is above it all. But can I ask you, what does that mean for us on a day-to-day basis? How does that translate to us every day? What what impact do we have in our lives when we say, God, you are supreme and you are sovereign in our lives? How does that look like for us? And what impact does it have on us every day? When we decide and purpose in our hearts to make God our priority and acknowledging that above all else, He is above all, He's, it is able to help us stand firm in the face of false teaching. We are able to stand firm in the face of false teaching. You know, one random weekday, um, I was watching just something on the TV that Roger had put on, and it turned out to be a Korean drama. How many of you watch Korean drama? Right. Hey, I have no, no qualms, okay? You can... I don't have nothing against Korean drama. So I watched one episode of Korean drama and I ended up watching the entire like 21 episodes in four days. (laughs) 
Yes, I know, such temptation. So, and I felt so silly because I have lost sleep. I sacrificed sleep just to watch every episode, you know. And then I, I had wasted my day off all day just sitting in watching Korean drama for that Monday, you know. And I felt so ridiculous. The name of that Korean drama is called Weightlifting Fairy. Anyone seen it? Weightlifting Fairy. It's, it's actually a very cute romantic comedy. Um, it's about a weightlifter, professional weightlifter is a girl, who fell in love with a weight loss doctor. Do you see her dilemma? She loves, she's, she has to eat and bulk up to be a weightlifter, but she fell in love with a weight loss doctor. So to get close to this weight loss doctor, she has to go and be, pretend to be a client and try to lose weight. But then she's supposed to bulk up, right? So anyway, it's a very cute and romantic. It's not epic. If you don't watch it, you won't miss out on anything. Don't worry, you know? Um, yeah. But, but it was very cute, you know, it's very cute. It's one of those cheesy love stories that I, I have, I am so, I, I have a weakness for, you know. Um, and so after watching it, I have to tell you, for some reason, I had this craving for Korean fried chicken. In that week, I ate it twice for lunch in one week, from no Korean fried chicken to I had to have it twice in a week, you know, and... <laughs> And I had to, it was just a craving that won't go away. You know why? Because I think like 80%, I think 80% of that movie was about her like eating non-stop. Because every time she is distressed, she stuffs herself with Korean fried chicken because her father owns a Korean fried chicken shop. So every time she is in distress, she would like down those fried chicken like there's no tomorrow, you know, and, and Korean barbecue. You know, so the whole movie was just her stuffing herself and, and the whole time I was just craving for it. Another strange thing was, that happened was I find myself craving for romance in my life. Yeah. I know. I was, I felt, yeah. I f you know, I was like, I was upset with Roger because he wasn't taking time to talk to me. You know, that he wasn't speaking to me affectionately. He's like, what's wrong with you, woman? You know? <laughs> because I really was so... I didn't even know these effects have, have on me because I just watched romantic comedy and I felt like, so, you know, yeah. So, you know, we all like to think that we are these rational, intelligent beings. You know, but the truth is, there are a lot of things that go on around us that we don't even know. You know, that, that infiltrates our hearts and infiltrates our mind and our lives. That it, it happens so subtly and it happens so, so gently that we are unaware of and it's part of our lives. You know, um, Ravi Zacharias says that we live in a world of moving signposts. Everywhere around us, constantly there are people giving us direction where to go. And, and none of them are in pointing in the same direction. Constantly, we are moving, we're living in a world of moving signposts and everything around us is like quicksand. It moves so quickly. Fashion, music, priorities, what is right, what is wrong, what is, what is culture. Everything around us moves so quickly. The only way we can be anchored in and be grounded is that when we have, we hinge ourselves to an unmoving signpost. And that unmoving signpost is Jesus Christ. Because 
brothers and sisters, because no matter what we believe in, no matter what we decide to do, no matter what happens in our lives, that He says who He says He is, is unchanging. Whether we like it or not, He still is the image of the invisible God. In verse 15 it says, And He still is the firstborn of all creation. By Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, He still is on the throne whether we decide to believe Him or not or whether we want to integrate Him into our lives. That truth will never change. And that is what we need to hinge our lives on. We need to be anchored and ground ourselves in Christ Jesus that is unchanging. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore, for generations to come, He will be who He says He is. And that is why it is so important for us to know and hold on to who Christ is in our lives. When we are able to acknowledge who God is in our lives, that He reigns supreme, we are able to stand firm in the face of false teaching. Secondly, when we are anchored into Christ and recognize that He is supreme, it helps us to be steadfast when we don't understand how many of us in our lives that we've asked God before, why me? Why me? Why must my loved one pass on? Why does my business have to fail time and time again? Why must my husband walk out on me? Why are my children the way they are? Why am I having cancer at this point of my life? Why, why, why? In every, in every juncture of our Christian walk, we will come to a place where we will ask God why. Because life is not a bit of roses. Things will happen in our lives and we will be questioning who God is in our lives. Paul teaches us here that Jesus created all and everything that exists. They were created through Him. He was with God and in God and was God. In 1 John 1-3, As God created all things through Him, all things were created for Him. All that came into being exists for Christ. Everything that exists came to display the greatness of Christ. Nothing, absolutely nothing, in the universe exists for its own sake. Everything from the bottom of the ocean to the highest mountains. Everything from the smallest atom and particle to the brightest star in the universe. Everything exists to display the fullness of Christ's glory. From the most ugliest, disgusting, smelliest cockroach to the most beautiful human being. From the greatest saint you have ever known to the most wicked genocide dictator. Everything exists to make the greatness of Christ more fully known. Whether we acknowledge Christ is above all else, we can be steadfast in knowing that God is still fully in control 
especially when we're not able to see the full picture. His desire is not for all these things to happen to us, but amidst our weaknesses and inability to understand, we can still come to God and say, Lord, you are supreme, you are sovereign, and you are still above it all, and you are in control. I want to read to you an interview with Pastor Rick Warren. How many of you know who is Pastor Rick Warren? He is one of the pastors of the greatest, one of the largest um, churches in the United States. It's called Saddleback Church. And eight years ago, in 2013, um, if you don't know, there's a book called Purpose Driven Life. Has anyone read it? It's a great book to have. He's one of the best-selling authors um, of this devotion, Purpose Driven Life. And eight years ago, at the height of his career and his ministry, his youngest son, Matthew, took his own life. And I'll read to you a portion of this interview of, he had, of the one he had with Premier Christian Magazine. I don't have time to read to you the entire interview. I wish I can. If you can, read up on it after when you have time after the sermon. It will bless your heart. I'm only going to read to you two portions where the interviewer asked what happened the day it happened and how is he coping with it. The interviewer asked, can you describe what happened that day? That week was what I called my battle for hope. Last Easter was the 33rd birthday of Saddleback and we had more than 50,000 in attendance. It was a big day for us. Many people came to Christ and I preached on the hope of resurrection. At the end of the message, I said, the more people I love there are in heaven, then heaven becomes closer to me and it becomes more real to me. My mom is there, my dad is there, my brother is there, and I have lots of friends there. I didn't know that five days later, my youngest son would be there too. Matthew had been overnight at our home the night before, all perfectly normal. We often watched TV together and laughed. He was a brilliant, really brilliant kid with a tender heart but a tortured mind. The night that Matthew died, we were standing outside the front of his house with his doors locked. We were waiting for the police to come and break down the door and we feared an inevitable. We were standing, Kay and I, holding each other, sobbing. Kay was wearing a necklace um, that had two words on it, choose joy. She said, choose joy. I looked at her and I thought, are you kidding me? When things happen to you, they become part of your life, your message. It doesn't replace um, the life message. Sorry, this is a part of the interview that was missing. What happened was, I'm sorry, I, I lost it. So what happened was, the police had to break down the door and they found their son lifeless. And it took a six-month sabbatical to grieve over the loss of their son. And the interviewer asked, looking back, 
is it, be, is it possible to begin to see purpose in your pain? He said, I saw it from day one. In fact, we can't handle pain unless we understand there is a purpose. The gospel didn't offer painless life on this earth, but it does offer us meaning, which makes pain bearable. The first stage was shock, which is a human emotion. Sometimes I'll be sitting at home at night expecting him to walk in through the door and watch TV with us, as he often did. Then it went to sorrow, which is a godly emotion. The Bible says Jesus wept. The only reason you are able to grieve is because God grieves. The Bible makes it very clear. We were made in His image. The third phase is what I struggle most with. All the why questions. The biggest one for me is, why didn't you answer the prayer I prayed every day for 27 years? The prayer I, pray, I prayed more than any other prayer went unanswered. But explanations never comfort. What you need in tragedy is not an explanation. You need the presence of God. Then you come to the stage of surrender. Surrender is when you say, I'd rather live and walk with God and have questions unanswered than have all my questions answered and not walk with God. You know, the truth is, life is difficult. Every one of us here go through things, different challenges, unknown to all. We all struggle. We all have challenges. We all have different things. But if we are able to say, God, that no matter what, I choose you. I choose to trust you. I choose to worship you. I choose to trust that you are still who you say you are, that you are God, that you are still the image of the invisible God, and you still hold all things together. When we are able to be anchored in Christ, it will look like this. It will, look, it will help us be steadfast when we have all the whys in our lives. In our unanswered questions. Lastly, this supreme Christ we know went all the way to the cross for you and I that we can remain in Him. You know, just reading these verses, these scriptures, it, was, it seems so lofty. It seems so far away. It seems like as if God has wind, like clocks who wind up our lives or set our lives on a wind and just let us go and let things go into motion. And God is just watching from afar, from a distance. It does sound like that when we just read it as it, as it is. But I'd like you to know this that this supreme and majestic and glorious Christ that we know went all the way to the cross for you and I so that we can remain in Him. So that we can remain in Him. This supreme and glorious God that we know 
carried the cross on Calvary. He bore stripes on his back. He was spit on on his face. He experienced the highest emotion of betrayal and abandonment by his closest friends and his family. He wasn't just a God that sat on the throne and watched our lives go past. This is the God that came all the way down here for you and I. He's not in a faraway place. He's not a fable in a story. He's here right now. He's here in our everyday. He's here in our situations. When we grieve, when we question, when we choose to love, He's here. And when we are anchored in, in understanding that above all else that we go through, that He is above all, we are able to remain in Him. We are able to remain in Christ. Remain in Him. I'd like to ask for the worship team to come now. When Pastor Gwen had asked me to prepare for this some weeks ago, um, I really wanted to say no. I really wanted to say no. But as I was preparing the message, I only had the end of this sermon in mind. I had this song in mind. I didn't know how the service will end that it will be this song that as a church and as a congregation that we're going to take a step to bow and to say God you are supreme you are sovereign in the Miriam dictionary the definition of bow is to cease from competition or resistance to submit or to yield to cease from competition. What are you fighting against today? What are you resisting? At what juncture of your life did you start to believe that whatever you're fighting for, whatever you're fighting against, maybe it's your past, maybe it's a sin that you thought is unpardonable, at what point of your life did you believe that your sin was greater than His love? That He could not restore you? That He will not come and save you? That He will not be here to make sure that you are through with this season? As I was preparing this, I felt that there were some in our midst today that you're tired of being in this place of trying. You're tired of trying and being found sorry here again and again and say, God, I'm just so tired. I'm tired of trying. But I want you to know today to not give in and to not give up because God will not give up on you. 
and He is able. And as we choose to submit and to yield and say, God, no matter what I feel, I don't have answers. I choose to stand in acknowledgement that You are supreme. You are sovereign. That You are in control. That no matter what happens, O oh God, You are still on the throne. That nothing happens without Your divine permission. And I choose to be anchored into You today. To bend the head, the body, or knee in reverent submission. I'm not interested in what you do physically today. Some of you I know are unable to, to bow down. It is physically, perhaps you have a knee surgery, perhaps you have a back problem, some of you are heavily pregnant. That is not what I'm expecting of you. I'm not bothered about your physical position. God is more interested in the condition of our hearts today. And I'm not even going to call you out for an altar call because it is between you and God today. Whatever that you're going through, whatever that you are facing, He is enough and He is able. And walking out of here today, it doesn't mean that things might get easier. It doesn't mean that things will just be turned around immediately. It might, but it might not. But what we do today is to say, God, no matter what happens, I choose to be found here. I choose, I choose to submit to you. I choose to acknowledge you over my life, over my marriage, over my children, over my career, over my definition of success, your opinion matters. Whether I'm beautiful, whether I'm enough, no matter how wretched you feel, there is nothing beyond His love. He is enough. <laughs>